Hello, and welcome to another episode of Voices of CFMA, Construction Financial Management Association's podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders, sponsored by Old Republic Shorty. I'm your host, Sal Marino, CFMA's Director of Communications and an Assistant Editor for CFMA Building Profits Magazine. This month, we're going to change things up a bit. My guest is Bruce Orr, Founder, CEO, and Chief Data Scientist at Pronovos. But what makes this episode different is that Bruce brought his own guest, Mr. Samuel W. Smith Jr. We talk life, history, DEI, and the construction industry. So Bruce, I'm going to start with you. Why don't you give everyone a little bit of background about yourself? Yes. Uh, so I'm Bruce Orr. Uh, I, um, you know, my, I guess my background is I am a technology person. I've been doing this for Longer than I care to admit, I bought a, uh, um, about 23 years now, and I've always focused on data. Uh, even when data wasn't a thing, I kind of knew that we were going in this direction as a, uh, as a world. Um, and uh, I got into construction uh, data analytics about eight years ago. Uh, I founded the company Pronobos. And Pronovos uh, has evolved over time. We are a construction um, financial intelligence platform, and we essentially help contractors um, make good use of their data. Most of the data is underutilized, and that's what we do. My journey in construction uh, has been, had a, it had a lot of ups and downs. You know, it's not an, I, listen, I, before construction, I lived in Singapore, Southeast Asia, and I was an interim CFO, no, I'm sorry, CDO at uh, Citibank. And it was high tech, you know, it was uh, very uh, diverse. And um, I decided that it was time for me to come back to the United States. My relationships were waning. I had a special young lady in my life at the time, who's now my wife. She was my girlfriend then. And I wanted to spend more time with her and I needed uh, to find something. She's a CFO of a pretty uh, big um, developer and I saw what she was doing and one thing led to another. And I guess, gosh, eight years ago, here I am. Okay, great. And Sam, welcome to Voices of CFMA. Why don't you uh, give everyone listening a little bit of background about yourself? I would like to recall it's, it's been a lot of years. It takes a lot to recall. But but uh, born in Detroit, Michigan in 1944. Uh, my mom left there uh, after two years and went to Chicago. So basically, that's where I started my bringing up, I guess you could say. And then uh, I went through a period where uh, my grandmother, who lived in Alabama, was ill. And I went to live with her to help her out during that period up until the time she passed, which was in 1959. And um, thanks to her, I was able to get out of Alabama alive because coming from Chicago with a lot of the freedoms that were available in Chicago were not so in Alabama. And uh, that adjustment period for me was quite difficult. Now, now, my grandmother didn't see it that way. In fact, uh, she she kept a switch available to try to help me out and let me know that you're not in Chicago any longer. You're in Alabama. And uh, Sam, he doesn't know what a switch is. Do you know what a switch is, Sal? Oh, I know what a switch All is. Right. 
I grew up in an Italian family and I was not a prince. I can tell you that much. <laughs> Did you have the ones that were, were braided? No, not braided. Oh no. No, that that's that's when you're very special, <laughs> naughty, that those are used, you know. So, so so one switch is not good enough. You get three very good ones and you braid them to it sort of reminds you of a whip. Uh, as my my mom told me in later years that uh, she was only trying to save your life because when I came from Chicago, uh, <clears throat> there were a lot more freedoms, of course, in Chicago, mm -hmm. and and I was not used to what I was being subjected to in Alabama. My idiotic ways of trying to deal with that didn't really work with the norm, so. Uh, got into some trouble and uh, because of the people, the love for my grandmother who had nursed their babies, worked in their kitchens, worked at the school, did all of those things. But they did tell her that if you don't get him out of here, they're going to kill him. And that was because of several incidents that I had along the way. But uh, I'm, I'm here today. I'm thankful for that. I'm blessed. I thank my grandmother. I always say my prayers because of that, you know. And so went, went back to Chicago and um, got drafted into the Army and went in in 1965 to 68. Uh, since I had been involved in sort of the quasi-movement in Alabama and what I had learned, I asked for an opportunity to go into the Air Force. So they said, well, you need to take a test in order to get that done. No problem, let's do the test. I did okay on that. In fact, I did excellent on that after patting myself on the back. So I was allowed to go into the Air Force. So I ended up spending um, three and a half years in the Air Force. And then the last year I spent in Vietnam and uh, was able to come back uh, from Vietnam. Uh, I was not wrapped very tight when I, re when I returned. I didn't realize I wasn't wrapped very tight, but I came back and, and uh, tried to sell life insurance for about a year. No, no, maybe six months. And uh, black people weren't buying life insurance. <laughs> It's like, oh, I'm going to leave $100,000 for my wife and the kids. No, I don't think so. We're not doing that kind of thing. So that didn't pan out. I went and joined the Chicago Transit Authority in 1969 and ended up staying there for 25 years. And you retired from there? And I retired. <clears throat> and I was sort of stressed out at the time that I retired because I didn't have this business acumen that I, that I could rely upon. All I knew was just hard work. That's what right. I had grown up. That's what I'd done in the military. You know, I was just putting my nose to the grindstone and trying to get it done. So uh, I set my goal to retire at 45. I retired at 49. And that was just the result of no business, no investments, none of that. I just worked. I did a lot of work. I, I remember one year, a uh, year and a half, I worked every day, seven days a week. I worked in the office for the Chicago Transit Authority. 
I threw newspapers in the morning and I bust tables on the weekend. Why? Because that was the only way I, I, I knew at the time to start gathering some monies to, to put back so I could make that 45. Oh, so, so you weren't you are relying on the pension from your, completely relying on the pension from your job. You were just trying to save as much as possible. So was, that's why you were working. Oh, yeah, I, I was working because I did not feel at the time, you know, that the pension was going to take me where I wanted to be. Got it. So I figured that I needed to make money. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about investing. No one had ever talked to me about that. I don't even think that word ever came up in my household ever, anytime, at any point. So I just knew that I had to work in, in order to make that happen. And uh, I was fortunate enough to, to meet some people along the way. The guy that sold my mom the car, he liked me. And he said, oh, I need someone to do my uh, paperwork for me. Yeah. That kind of thing. He says, can you do that? I said, certainly. It's not a problem. Because he, he, he worked for the major dealer. And then he also had another business on the side. So all of all of that paperwork, the selling of the cars, you know, the money coming in, going to the bank. So I said, but I can't do that because I have a job. And my job is split days off. It's sometimes I'm three to eleven, sometimes I'm five to one PM or whatever. And he said, Well, I can take care of that. That's not a problem. And so one day. He says, meet me here in the evening time, around 8 o'clock at the dealership. We left there, and we went downtown Chicago, and we went through a back alley to a freight elevator, and we came up on the mayor's floor. The, the what floor? The mayor. Wow, okay. Wow. The mayor of Chicago. Daly. Okay, Mayor Daly. Okay. And his lieutenant was there, and he just simply said to him, he said, um, Sam, here's my friend. I have some work that I would like for him to do for me, but he can't do it because he has split days off and he works all of these crazy hours and so forth. And so he says, you know, Sam, you know, if you're a friend of John, you're a friend of mine. I'm just listening. I'm just listening to all of this. And so he says, don't worry. He says, uh, don't worry, John. It's good. I'll take care. So the job was... Uh, I considered the job to be a flunky job. Okay. Yeah, I'm going and getting coffee and I'm yeah. doing this little odds and ends. And I did that for a week. And, and then I went in and, and I called John back and I told him, I said, you know, I said, I appreciate you getting me down here. I says, but I don't like this. He says, what do you mean you don't like it? Collect the money. You know, I says, I don't like not doing it's not challenging. nothing. Yeah. Right. No challenge to me. I said, I have a lot more to offer. So I says, I'm going to go in and I'm going to talk to Mr. Blah. So I go in and I tell him, and I says, sir, I says, I appreciate this opportunity and all. I says, but honestly, I feel, you know, I was in charge of people when I was in the, in the, in the military. And I says, I can do so much more for this company and not being here getting coffee for you and these other people that are around you. And I says, I want to go out in the field and work. Period. He says, well, where do you want to go? He says, it doesn't matter to me. And I said, I just want to be out there and be in the mix of everything. And so uh, he arranged it. And I went out and uh, he gave me a title of superintendent. And uh, 
I went out and I and I did okay. And that's 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 sort of the story of how it ended up. And then I took that step and that led to other steps and that led to other steps and finally got to the point where I was the second in command of the entire bus transportation oh, gosh. in Chicago. Wow. That's a... and, and, and some of the people that were dogging me out prior to that, they then worked for me. <laughs> you know, I, I remember early in my career, someone said, watch how you treat people going up, going up the ladder. Mm -hmm. because you might run into those same people coming down on, uh, on the way yeah, down on the way down and and yeah I, I, but yeah. but you know the, the the household that I was raised in with my grandmother and so forth you know I pride myself on my character and mm. treating people the right way I want to be treated <laughs> the right way and that didn't always happen but that didn't stop me from wanting to treat people that way so after I, I got the position and I was in place because I had uh, 52 people under me and I, and, I, and I said to them, and I said, you know, uh, you may think that I have some sort of vendetta or ill feelings mm. about how things have gone in the past. And I says, you don't have to worry about that with me. I says, because I'm not built like that. The only thing I want from you is to do your job. Yeah. If you do your job and you do it well, you're not going to have any problems with me. Yeah, that's a play from the from from Mandela's book when he became president. He had, in some people's eyes, all the right to um, treat people poorly when he became president, and he said, "No, we want to unite this country, and we wanted to all do a good job." So, sounds like yeah, he took a a a a a. a, a a page from Mandela's book. And, and, and there, I didn't know anything about that, but again, it's just a part of how I was raised and a, part, and a big part of how I look at our society today. I, 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 I say to people is that I something that Martin said is that, that we would get to a point one day in our society that we would judge people by their character mm -hmm. and not by the color of their skin. And so my, my whole idea was is that I want to treat people with respect and I wanted to be treated with respect. And that, as I told them, I said, then all I need for you is just to do your job. I'm not holding any kind of vendetta. That was stuff that was happening in the past. Now, on the flip side of that, if you don't do your job, there are consequences for that. You know, I'm not the person that's going to look in the other direction because I realized that in assuming this position, it didn't matter the people that worked for me. They were black, white, Hispanic, across. It, it didn't matter. I said, it's because people are looking at me and I'm concerned about how my performance looks. Yeah, right. You know, I, I want to right. excel. Yeah. If I, I've been very fortunate through the military that, that I've always been able to do well. In yeah. my job, I've always been in charge of people, and and I and I feel that I know how to treat people, and I know how people should be treated at the same time. So it 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 was nothing for me. It's just a matter of explaining to them mm -hmm. what they needed to understand about me. That if you do your job, 
they're not going to be any problems here. If you don't do your job, then you're going to find another place to yep. work. Yep. Bruce, how did you guys meet? I met Sam at the gym. And I think that I working out is a lifelong thing that I've been doing. It honestly, it just helps me stay sane. <laughs> and I met Sam at, at the gym and uh, he had this shirt on. It says 75 and kicking. And this was probably, yeah, kicking up dust, 75 and and kicking up dust. And I think you're turning 80 this year, right? Yes. And, and, uh, and so, um, when, uh, when I got to know him, we, we just, you know, just had lots of conversations. It's always good to see him and I could sit here, I could talk to him all day, but I want to make sure that we get to questions that you have. No, no, absolutely. Um, I actually wanted to go back to Sam, what you were talking about, um, with the golden rule and sort of treating people the way you would like to be treated. And I wanted to get your take on this because you've been around a little bit longer, but I sort of feel like sometimes when I look around that society is angrier and we're a lot more on edge and it just seems to be a general animosity that I've not seen before in my lifetime. And you've obviously experienced a little bit more. So I wanted to get your take on that. I agree with your assessment in that it appears and there's evidence to substantiate that, that we're living in a time where people are just so angry and wound up tight over the least little thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there, there were issues back in the day, and, and we know where those issues came from, and I understand that. But today, it's people from all over every walk of life this they seem to be walking around just wound up and 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 ready to turn loose at any moment and that's that's a different feeling from me or for me i should say you know and growing up you know in in chicago you know with the gangs and and that kind of stuff and chicago is bad even to this day i understand that but it's just there's like the road rage that we deal with. I mean, I was leaving from Far Court here. It was like actually last year or sometime. And Far Court going on to Peachtree Industrial, it's a very short arrow turn line. And so there was a, was a kid in front of me. I didn't realize it was a kid at the time. And so the arrow came on for us to make our turn. And I just, he, like that, he turned around and gave me the biggest finger. And I looked and I said to myself, I was like, wow. What is going on in your day? It's not like I lean on the yeah. horn like that. I just be, you know, say, hey, you're paying yeah. attention. And so I, I just thought to myself is that, wow, what kind of a society are we living in today that people are just wound so tight? You know, yeah. a lot of this, this hatred and that kind of thing, I, I, I'm not getting that. What do you think is fueling that? I think that there are a lot of things that are fueling that. Economically, I feel that that has a, a big impact. It's that it's getting tougher for people to make it. If you don't, if, if you are, okay, years ago, let's say when my dad got back from World War II and he went to work for General Motors, that kind of thing, and he could make a decent living. He wasn't rich, but he could make a decent living, living and take care of his family. Today, that's a little bit different yeah. in, in terms of the jobs that are available that are capable of allowing you to do that. Because if you worked at Ford or Dodge or, or those places back in the day, 
you know, in one point, Detroit was considered one of the most prosperous uh, cities in the country. And that was because of all of the car companies there and people did well. But in 1976, my dad went to work. They told him, they said, you, you have two weeks. Your division is being shipped overseas. So what my dad did is that he became a barber up until the day that he died. But that's what he had to do. But the life that he was living at the time he could no longer support that yeah. because of that change. <clears throat> and Detroit, it, it's just over that time, it, it's tried several times to come back under Dave Bing and a couple of other people, but you know, it's it's still struggling to this yeah. day. Yeah. I, I I do agree with you. Um we are living in a society that is wound up and I try to think about what's impacting that. Um you know, I think that there are many things that are impacting it. Um, and and it's interesting because Sam and I was just talking before um, getting on this podcast and we were kind of talking. He, he was telling me about how uh, for his daughter, uh, this is um, uh, if you want to essentially do whatever you want to do. This is like the best time in in uh, in, in, in history that you could do that. Um but so so we have all these opportunities ahead of us, but we're we're just we're just we're just mad, you know. We're yeah. like, and and uh, and and I I I gotta say, um, from a, from political perspective, it's it's it it's just I. It seems like like if we if we talk about politics, you know, they should be a reflection, and honestly, they are a reflection of our society, and and. If they're a reflection of our society, we need to think differently about who we put into office. You know, like like these are people that we put into office, and I have little ones. I I, I grew up thinking that I needed to respect the like the people in office and government. Right now, I know that there are times, speaking as a black man, there are times where we have grown to distrust government, but for the most part the government got my respect and now i wouldn't tell i wouldn't tell my little people to disrespect them but they're not a they're not a and i, I as, as i say this i know how it might come across but they're not a model to look after you know i i i'm the model they i should always be the model that i want them to look after um um but yeah i i think i think when you look at the politics, they are, it's, it's just a reflection of our society. Um, ah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm, I'm, I'm forever the optimist, Sal. I think that we, I, I think that we are going to get past this. I don't know what it will take, but, um, I think conversations like this where, you know, we strive even like at CFMA when we launched the DEI um, committee. It was not to create uh, a wedge between anyone. It was to include and bring people together. And even doing that, everyone there are a lot of people that are not happy about it. You know, and and uh, and and I, I still believe that it's the right thing to do. And I'm so proud of. CFMA, um, you know, 
holding that torch and you know the, the new ceo uh neil shaw he came on and, and he's a big proponent of that and I, I think we're going in the right direction in an industry that has um not looked good in the eyes of deni plus you know right and how do you think we reach those people who are unhappy with the dei work or don't know why they're unhappy with the DEI work, but they just know that they are unhappy with it. How do we reach those people? I think that the tough part about that is the same way I looked at when I was in the military and also when I worked for the Chicago Transit Authority is that the leadership begins at the top. Right. If one person does not, person per sons, does not set the standard then you have chaos at the bottom because people are almost like little children, you know, that are just running around loose or, 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 or a bunch of wild horses. And if they don't get direction, they just have a tendency just to go the way that they are feeling at the moment. And somebody has to step in and say, they give you an incident that happened with me at the authority. One day, uh, one of the female employees came in to me and she said, uh, she says, Mrs. Smith, can I ask you something? Oh, yeah, sure. A absolutely. You know, the men were leaving Hustler magazines in the drawers after they would hand out the runs and so forth like that. I says, really? She says, yeah. She went and she got the magazines and she brought them to me. So I'm kind of old school. I'm not as always, I'm not always as smooth. <laughs> as I should be, you know, not very diplomatic. So I go in there, it's four men there. I I reached in and I take them out and I put them in front of these and, and I said to them, how about if I take that and show that, show that to your mother? How do you think that your mom would like that? I said, this is a young lady that's working here in this environment with you. So listen, this is going to be real simple for you. I see these magazines in here, you're fired. Period. Yeah. You're out of here. That's not a part of who we are. Yeah. We're working as a unit, as a team. So getting back to the point originally, leadership is what can change all of what we're going through. But if leadership is flawed, if I had said, oh, girl, don't worry about that. This is boys being boys. Then the problem persists. From that point, yeah. I'm yeah. not doing her any justice. I'm not doing the company any justice. Yeah. So, as I told the gentleman out at the Sugarloaf before, I said, yeah, "Sir, I'll make this real simple for you." I says, "If you will believe a lie that tells me that you will tell a lie, and in addition, it tells me that you can't be trusted." Oh, yeah, I mean that's pretty, pretty, pretty powerful. I, I cannot. There is so many things, Sal, I want to say on this podcast, and I, I'm just not going to say it because um, going back to what you said, you you asked how, how can we we reach those people that, um, ha have that are opposed to diversity, equity, inclusion, not those that are neutral, but those that are on the other side. Um, I think also, um. It's a matter of um, getting to know them and them getting to know us and having conversations. Um, 
again <laughs> before this podcast, Sam and I, we were talking, and I told him that if I was going to be real, um, you know, real talk is I've gotten way more opportunities from white people than I have. And I'll be specific from white men than I have from anyone else. Like, I think that I have met so many people. I've been, I rarely use this word and I'm going to use it now blessed, but I've been like so blessed to have some people that um, gave me, I would say gave me, I'm not going to say gave me a chance, but they didn't care what other people thought. They they saw someone that was right for the opportunity and extended it. Um, and, um, and I'm thankful for that. And, and, and I believe that, um, that it's, it, it gave me an opportunity to get to know um, their affiliates too, right. who were not black, you know, it was other white men. And I think mm -hmm. that like, you know, I, I I'm part of this uh, this group, uh, Vistage. It, it's uh, it's a CEO peer group. In this peer group, I think it's 14 of us. There is one Hispanic lady, and the rest are white men. And we sit around. We meet every every month, and we meet for an entire day, and we talk about our business challenges. And I submit to you that um, that we all are speaking one language and that is how do we um progress how do we become the best that we can be and provide opportunity to others there's nothing about race nothing about gender nothing about sexual orientation it's just all about you know how do we become the best that we can be and um and and they're not and i, I would say that going going back to what i was saying about those that are, are opposed to it, um, there is something in in their lives that made them be opposed to it. it like their experience is something that 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 created that. And the only way you can change that is by showing a little vulnerability and 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 having some frank conversations that you're not trying to change anyone's mind. You just want to talk one human being to another, and uh, and I think I think that's uh, that's that's how you change it. Uh, just I'll say this last part: uh, when we came up with, I don't know if it's a slogan or whatever, but at the you know I'm part of the DEI committee, we came up with the listen, learn, lead, and that was a very thoughtful, well discussed term or slogan that we came up with. Um, and it's, it's, it, I think it's classic. It's something that's going to be around for a long time. When we listen to other people and we learn from them, we can lead others. You know, I think that when your heart is in the right place, mm -hmm. you will listen and you will learn and you're going to, um, perpetuate those things that are just and good. Sal, I was, I was going to say is that... <clears throat> For me, so Lord's willing, willing and the creek don't rise. I'll be 80 in December. One of the things that I have noticed over the years is that when people are, how can I say, uh, being in the military, 
And even though there were issues when I was in the military, I, I had an old sergeant early on that was uh, from Mississippi. And uh, he brought to Vietnam some of what he brought it from Mississippi. And, and we had issues when I was in Vietnam in 67 and 68. We had guys over there that were putting up Confederate flags. Mm -hmm. But here I am. I'm from Chicago. A, a big part of the unit, St. Louis, Philadelphia, uh, New York, and so forth. And we said, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. Ain't happening here. Mm -hmm. And we had to have the major to come in and say, no, you got to take them down. You can't do that kind of thing. But the point that I'm getting to is that how are we like we are today? The people that are in charge of making creating the rules and regulations and then making sure that they're carried out. And this is not against anybody in particular, but to say those 538 congressmen and uh, people that are up there, there's a small percentage of them that have served in the military. I think that the military is a place that teaches you organization, teamwork, and discipline which allows you to come out of there and go anywhere and work with any place with anybody. Now, if you have not had that experience where you're a white man and I'm a black man, and I put you say, no, 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 you're going to work together for the common cause of this unit, period. And if you don't, you're out. That's not happening with so many of those individuals that are in charge of stuff. They've never been under those kinds of constraints. They've come from privileged backgrounds and so forth, mm -hmm. where things were kind of handed to them, and they've never had to conform. They've always been able to do things kind of their way. But in the military, and, and you know, there was a, the, the period of segregation in the military, Truman was the one that tried, and even though he changed that on paper, in real life, it was still happening. Yeah. But I'm still saying that in addition, it's like when I first moved in, uh, this young kid was, I'm young. He's from uh, Idaho, had never been around a black person. The only black person you ever seen was the ones who were on TV. Okay. <laughs> we got ready to bunk that night. He's sitting there. So I said, Donald. You're gonna get, yeah, I'm gonna get dressed. Long story short, Donald was waiting to see if Sam had a tail. That's what he had yeah. grown up with. And Donald was the nicest person in the world. Yeah. <laughs> we became good friends. He just didn't know. But his circle had fed him that. And that's what he was coming into the world with. So again, if if you don't, so he gets into the military and he meets me yeah. and he meets other black people and he can say, you can have butt heads on, on both sides of the coin. It's not about that. It's just that individual, but don't take it in group. He understood that. Yeah. And we stayed in contact. And so to, to be able to, you know, how do you reach those people? Again, I says it goes back uh, to leadership. If, they wanted to correct the problem. That's where you would begin doing that. Because if I'm the leader of you and you're a part of the men and you see me treat Sal 
like he's a brother, he's a team member, he eats at the table with me and so forth like that. You pretty much don't have any choice right. because you know that if you don't, you're out. Yeah. We 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 don't have that so much anymore. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. Sam, so you're in Vietnam, you're putting your life on the line for your country, but you have people bringing in Confederate flags and you have to trust these same people to have your back and to look out for you. And you also have to have their back and look out for them. How do you reconcile that? Well, it, 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 it's funny you say that because um, a, a, a lot of my buddies looked at it this way. I have an M16 just like you do. And you got to get by me in order to do what it is you wanted to do. But again, I'll, I'll say this, because I want to be respectful of those individuals. If, if you've been raised like that all of your life, and then at 18, you're just thrown into the mix yeah. with Sam. And, and, and you've been fed garbage, for lack of a better word, all of this, all of these years. But to be able to sit down, and that's where the major came in. And, that, and that's why I want to go back to the leadership thing, is that when that problem is identified, you can't ignore it. It has to be addressed yeah. with no uncertainty that we are, this is not allowed. We're not going to do this here. I don't know what you're going to do when you get back home, but we're not going to do this here, period. And you're under my command. If you don't follow my orders, guess what? You're not a part of the military. If you lack character, I'm a decent person. I would speak to you, but there's not a lot I can do with you. Because you can't be trusted. Yeah. So our leaders, our, we find our leaders from the church to politics. They're just they're all across the board in what they're involved in and the kinds of things that they will do, what they will accept, the lives that they will tell, just in order to maintain. That position, yeah. where they work, what, 173 days out of the year, and they get paid nice change and so forth. And, and they are willing to sacrifice right for that. Right, right. There, there are, I think, so many things broken with, um, with our government, with um, our society right now. And, and there, there are a lot of good things, too. Yeah. I, I'm not, I don't want to sure, be... Doom and gloom. I think. Uh, I think there is there's there's so much good in the world. Um, and as I'm listening to to Sam talk about leadership, um, I'm you know fortunate to be in a position where um, I'm I'm looked at as a. Man. I think that I, I often have to make a lot of hard decisions that are not popular uh, decisions, and sometimes it 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 costs. The company uh, profit, you know, it's it's it's. Um, um, I, I think <clears throat> we all like money. Money is, isn't everything, but it's very important. And when I think of like my character, I, I think it's not it's not for sale, you know, because I know so many people that have swallowed um, the pill 
that uh, created a, like people that I wouldn't want to have dinner with and I don't want anything to do with them. And yet they were good people, you know, they just, they took the money and, you know, and, and I, 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 again, money is so important. M money is, uh, don't get me wrong. It's so important, but I do not think that it's going to make you happy. Like if, if you have to exchange your character for, um, for, for money, you know, I, I know a lot of unhappy, wealthy people. And, and you know, and it's, it's so funny too. Um, Sam was telling me yesterday, I and I know you've heard this as well, uh, Sal. But health is wealth, right? So I know a lot of people, good people, they um, either you know they they prioritize um, the opportunity to um, um, be in power or make money over a lot of things. And, you know, what typically the easiest thing that you could do is put health aside. Ah, I don't need that. I'm, I'm going to focus on, you know, working hard and, you know, and, uh, and, and then, you know, family, I don't have to worry about that. And then, you know, you make these little decisions to prioritize things that are important. You don't know how important it is, but there's this, book called The Slight Edge that I really love. But when you start to make these small decisions, it's easier to start to say, well, I'll make another decision that might be um, incongruent with who I am as, you know, like my character, you know, and and I think that um, that it's, it's evident. And I, I do not know why right now, the maybe because it's an election year, but I'm just I'm just kind of it's it's on my mind. It's like, geez, you know. Listen, I I, I the the candidates that are going to be uh we got we got to cast votes for man. I it really come on, like like oh my god, I, I'm not gonna go there, Sal. But um, I don't know why it's on my mind. Yesterday it was not, but something happened. I I don't know. I didn't even, I don't know what happened, but. <laughs> No, I, I definitely feel you on that. And you're just constantly inundated with the election news cycle, even this early in the process. And even when you try to avoid it, it's it's just there. Um, and, you know, I have a 13 year old who I want to be able to be involved in his future. You know, now I tell him, I'm like, you know, don't get your your sights set on having clean air to breathe when you're my age. You know, set his <laughs> set his uh, expectations low, and maybe he'll be pleasantly surprised. But it it is it's one of those things that it's just constantly there, and it's it's impossible to get away from. But Bruce, I wanted to talk to you real quick because I, we're running out of time. But I wanted to get your take on my my first introduction to you. I believe was an article you wrote called "Racism in Construction" uh, on LinkedIn, and that was almost four years ago. And I kind of wanted to get your take on how has it progressed since you wrote that article in in construction and in your view? Is it has it moved forward? Have we gone backward? Is it the same? Where where do you think we stand now, having written that article four years ago, which we will also link in the comments down here too? Gosh, when I wrote this article, this was uh, around the time. Um, George Floyd was murdered, and and um, and I, I wrote that as I reflected on my experience in the industry. Um, I wanted to write something that was 
authentic to my experience. Um, since then, I think that I had been able to look at the world from a different vantage point. And I've also increased my capacity for understanding. There's been a lot of growth. What I have to say about the work that I've been doing on the DNI committee has forced myself, like forced me to grow. Like I have been, I don't know if I would have chosen this path in hindsight. And I, I say that because I wasn't looking to grow in this particular area, but I had to do some soul searching about my beliefs. And to give you an example, growing up, uh, as a as as a as as a as a black boy to a black man, it wasn't always. Um, if someone was gay, it was like it it wasn't that you would embrace them and understand. Like you know, you 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 would make fun of them, right? And 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 so, um, I I got past that part. I now like the level of empathy that I have is. Uh, I, I think is right where it needs to be. But when I got on this committee and um, I had to understand the path that LGBTQ uh, went down and represent them too, in addition to me being a, a black man, the first thing I wanted to say was, whoa, whoa wait a minute, you don't know my plight. Right? Like You got to listen, you know, like we got a lot of, a lot of things that we need to uh, set right. And I was wanting to overlook um, where they came from. But when I started to listen to them and learn about their experience, I said, wow, you know, like there's a lot of uh, commonality between us. And when I started to talk to white men that um, had a different point of view and they were open to discussing it in an authentic way we were able to come to we were able to have a discussion sometimes those discussions didn't change anything but i will submit to you that i bet that they don't forget those discussions you know i think that um that that the industry the needle has moved and it hasn't moved in a way <laughs> it hasn't moved as fast as i would like it to but it has moved. I, I'm, you know, I saw this article that the um, that the courts are looking to undo some DNI stuff that uh, that has been around a while, and and I, you know, I, I read this and I'm thinking, gosh, we're taking a huge step back. Not only that, corporations are also saying, ah, you know, we don't have to, you know, uh, be as there. We have less boxes to check now, you know, and. And I'm looking at that. And I'm like, man, we're going back. We're 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 not we're not making progress. But um, when I look at our, our our society and I think about the work that we're doing, and specifically in construction, the tide is 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 making things change. Like we have a like it is construction twenty years from now is going to look completely different than it does today. And I think it's going to be so much better. We're going to have a workforce that is going to be inclusive and we are going to have um, the opportunity to build some amazing things. We will hopefully correct 
the um the 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 bad things we've done to our environment. Your 13 year old, he 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 might he might be able to you know breathe some clean air here. Yeah, I'm just that you know optimistic, and so uh, you know I, I guess the I'll, I said all that to say that progress has been made. And honestly, Sal, like I know you work for CFMA. I'm a member. I'm I'm on the exec uh, committee at CFMA, and and I I think that. Um, that you guys are doing some we we are doing some really good work for the for the industry you know um i i my company supports construction like contractors and i first got into this looking at this as just uh an opportunity to, to make money it is so much more than that now it is so much more than that um i sit down with superintendents and project managers and laborers and and I hear their stories and um and and I, I think that um it just gives me a lot of gratitude to um have the vantage point to have conversations with them. So Yeah. And and as somebody who is in the business of data, how does data play a part in your eyes at least, um, in pushing that needle forward for DEI in construction? So in my opinion, this is about uh, the, the data says it all. Uh, when you're tracking the data, when you start looking at the uh, people that you hire, you're, you're tracking that. You're not just, you know, filing an application away. And, you know, when, when you're tracking that, when you're looking at your uh, attrition, the people that are leaving, um, it tells a story, you know, and we did something... <laughs> I think we did something extremely um, uh, smart when we first started the DNI task force. The very first thing we did is we said we got we had to create a business case, like and you know it really wasn't a business case for DNI. We said we want to try to understand what the data is going to tell us, and so we gather all this data and we tried to present what the data said in an unbiased way. I was at a point, Sal, where if the data said that if you have an all-white company, you're going to be successful and you make more money, I was ready to present that to the officers at CFMA. And everyone else was ready. It didn't show that, man. The data showed us something completely different. And I think that um, that as long as we are able to measure the right things from an analytical perspective um, and, and and we report that in an unbiased way, it's, it's going to, the story is going to speak for itself as long as we don't have those in power and leadership that tries to uh, put their spin on it. Just let the data talk for itself. Excellent. I love that, right? Because data doesn't lie, right? Well, gentlemen, is there anything else you would like to say before we sign off on this episode? Uh, before we go, I, I, there's there's a question that I, I want to ask Sam. I, I like asking this question to people, especially those that have been around longer than I have. Um, you know, I, I think, um, man, it's been such a, it's, it's been such, such a struggle for me. And I'm speaking it as I'm speaking from the standpoint of a uh, entrepreneur and like in a technology startup, it's, I am, cho I am choosing to 
into the storm. However, um, during that time, I sometimes think about why I do it. Like, am I doing this because I believe that I'm going to be a better person and I'm changing lives? Is is the is the um, future going to be you know that like should, should I stop and do something easy or should I continue and you know and embrace the storm? And I I, I ask Sam. Um, because he has lived a lot longer than I have um, about his life. And, and Sam, um, I'm going to ask you the question. Um, you're, you're going to be 80 this year. And, and you said something to me yesterday. You said you're, you're in the fourth quarter. And you said you don't know if the fourth quarter is the beginning. The two-minute two warning. The two-minute warning, yeah, right? And I thought about that. I said, well, what hell? What quarter am I in? You know? And, and so... <laughs> Um, the question that I in the fourth quarter. <laughs> well, the, the the question that I asked Sam was, uh, do you have um, more? Uh, do uh, do you have better years ahead of you uh -huh. or behind you? Like like yes. how how do you, how do you view life? Yeah, are the best years ahead of you or or behind you? One thing, as you get older, as opposed to uh, like my daughter, she's twenty four, is that. Uh, you just grow in the appreciation of the next day that you're still here, you're still functioning, and you're going on. To attempt to project out and say, these are, best, these are not my best years, well, but for your age, they're not bad years because you're still here. Pretty much have my health and strength I'm up on my feet. I'm able to come to the gym. I'm able to travel. I'm able to deal with my daughter. And that was my prayer when she was born at 56 is that let me be around. Wait a minute. You had your daughter at what age? 56. Holy crap. I'm 47, Sam. No, no, listen, I'm 47. We just had a newborn um, like less than a month ago. And I'm like, I'm too damn old. Like I'm not. So wow, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And 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 was always motivated to say that uh, uh even for my wife is to do whatever I can to maintain myself physically and mentally so that I don't become a burden on them. Yeah. I mean, you know, I want her to be able to grow into living her life. And and I said to you is that these 22 years, there's some been some bumps and bruises. She's a girl trying to date and all of that but they have been absolutely positively 190% the best 22 years of my life. Just absolutely the best. I, that I wouldn't turn in for anything. So I would hate for it to end, you know, and I'm still living my yeah, life. Yeah. Yeah. This you know? I'm telling you, sure. I, I believe that the gym is, is like, he's in the gym all the time. He's rolling. He's doing weights. What'd you do today? Uh, it was light today. Oh, it was light today. Today. <laughs> oh, okay. So, hey, man, I think um, I, I, yeah, um, I look at him and that, that, like that's 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 what I ex aspire to to be. So, but, but I was going to say something that if I could sneak this part of it in, what you were talking about earlier is that uh, we are so subject to the people that run the country controlling the narrative. Mm. It's like. The guy that was waiting to see if I had a tail. 
all of those individuals, I could sit and talk to them and say, you know, you're not my problem. You are not my problem. And I'm not your problem. The problem is coming from someplace else. If you and I come together, perhaps we could change the narrative. But they've got people thinking that, oh, now Bruce is my problem. Yeah. So I'm focusing on Bruce, uh, uh, Bruce, and I'm not looking at where the real problem is coming from. So there's this concentrated effort, I do believe, to keep people confused to that point, mm -hmm. which inhibits the process that we could enjoy. And we're getting better, but it's more of a, it's a struggle because to reach all of those individuals, you're always running into these roadblocks and so forth. But Bottom line, I always say this, can't give in and you can't give up. Can't give in, you can't give up. I love it. <laughs> can't give in, can't give up. Is there a better place to stop now than that? Uh, listen, guys, I want to thank you both for uh, being on the podcast with me. This has been absolutely fantastic. And uh, I'm so glad, Sam, that we could get you onto the podcast with Bruce. No, like Sal, thanks for uh, for the invitation and thanks for the flexibility. I, I think uh, having Sam on is way more interesting than just talking to me. So I appreciate you being flexible. Absolutely. Thank you again to both of you. And thank you all for listening to another episode of Voices of CFMA, sponsored by Old Republic Shorty. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe and share it on social media. And if you're interested in learning more about the Construction Financial Management Association, check out CFMA.org. Once again, I'm your host, Sal Marino, and I will see everyone back here next month. Thanks. Thanks.